the place that we live out our community is the world. And in the New Testament, the word world is used three different ways. Sometimes it just refers to the planet, to earth. Other times when you see the word world, it refers to people, the people who live on this planet. But when John uses the word most of the time, what he means is the systems and the values that feel totally normal in society, but are actually in opposition to God. That's what John means by the world. It's the influence of the enemy, the evil one, what the Bible calls the devil, that seeks to thwart and destroy what God is doing in the world. And therefore, what we can say off the bat is there's a real enemy to Christian community. The evil one, the devil, does not want Christians to share life together. And he will do everything he can using any means at his disposal to interrupt and to destroy our life together. And so that's why there are all kinds of things that actually make community really hard. Let me give you a few examples. One thing that might seem pretty subtle, but it's very significant, is temperament. Some of you aren't really in community because you feel like you don't need it. You might describe yourself as introverted. I myself think of myself as pretty introverted. And I often can feel like I don't really need community. I don't need the involvement of other people in my life. And what we believe, the lie that's whispered to our hearts, is if we feel like we don't need other people, then we probably don't. And so because of temperament or personality, for some of us, community is a real challenge and we just avoid it. For others, it's not just temperament, but hurt is also a reason why community is really hard. Some of you have been burned by communities in the past. I know that some of you have been hurt and burned by church communities in the past. And when that's part of your story, it becomes really hard to recommit or be part of a church family. You know, church hurt goes deep. It's different than other kinds of pain because the church is supposed to be a community of love and grace and kindness and acceptance. So instead, when there's abuse or authoritarianism or manipulation in a church family, it's really hard to process. It's really hard to disconnect your experience of church with your following God. And so even if you have an instinct to stay close to God, sometimes recommitting to community in a church can be really scary. It can be really fraught. And sometimes people say, I just am not gonna bother with it. Temperament, hurt. For others, expectations make community really hard. You have grand visions of what church community should be like. And then you actually show up at a small group or you go to that class or you come to the prayer meeting and your expectations are completely unmet. The people that you encounter are much less ordinary than you were hoping. They're much more normal than you might've expected. And you feel like this doesn't match the vision or the ideal that I had about how close and about how tight and about how connected we would be. Some of you know the book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. It's a very satirical book. It's quite funny in many ways, but it's actually profoundly insightful because that book, The Screwtape Letters, is a series of letters that a senior devil called Screwtape writes to a junior devil called Wormwood. And what is happening in the book is Screwtape is giving advice to Wormwood about how to keep the patient who is a Christian, from following after God. So Lewis in the book is trying to give us an insight as to how temptation and spiritual warfare works. And there's one spot early in the book 
where the patient becomes a Christian. And Wormwood, the guy tasked with keeping him from following God, is very discouraged. And he feels like, oh no, I failed. And Screwtape writes a letter to him, and the quote will be on the screen. It's a long quote, but it's so insightful. Lewis says this, Screwtape speaking, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy, that's God's camp. You see, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Your patient will get to church, and when he does, he will see just that selection of neighbors that he has hitherto avoided. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune, have boots that squeak, double chins, or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their whole religion must therefore be ridiculous. Work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks being in community. Very insightful. What Lewis is saying is that sometimes community is hard because it can't live up to our ideals and our expectations. People let us down and we say this whole thing must be ridiculous. And the last reason why community is hard, I think, is fear. We're afraid to let people really see us. We're afraid that if people really knew us, they wouldn't love us. And so we hang out with other people, but we keep a mask on. We bring only the most polished versions of ourselves into the room. And what happens is we're not really doing life together. We're just hanging out and everybody's pretending and we're not going deep. And that makes community actually quite inauthentic. There's so many other reasons, but the point of these examples is to say we live in this world and community therefore is hard. It's hard to be a family of people who are deeply different and yet who come together and share life. So the question is, are there resources that can help us be a real family, that can really do life together? And the answer according to this passage is yes, there is a single resource that if we have it, equips us to move into community and that is the love of Jesus. That's the foundation for Christian community. Look again at verse one of our passage. The text says that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, the pressure of the world, all the factors that we just talked about, they're real, they're part of our story. But what makes community possible is that in the midst of living in this world, Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his people. And not only does Jesus love his people, but he loves them to the end. Now we're gonna talk about that in just a moment, but here's a, this is a key part of the sermon because as I talk about the love of Jesus, it's very possible right here that I can lose you. And you start thinking about brunch or what you're gonna do after church because you say, oh yeah, the love of Jesus, of course. That's what preachers always talk about. And it can feel abstract. Yes, God loves me, great. But we need to get practical. Because if we're going to be a community in London that actually shows forth God's kindness to our city, it's only going to be because we're built on the foundation of Jesus's love. So here's the question that I want us to consider for a moment. When someone is really loved, if you feel really loved, what does it look like? Consider a person who's really loved feels safe. When you really know that someone loves you, you feel safe. You know, you may have colleagues or acquaintances in your life, people that you like and you're friendly with, and that's great. But you know that someone loves you. 
The people in your life that you know love you are the people that you run to when stuff gets really hard. And they're the people that you know have your back, even when things get really tough. It's almost like the harder life gets, the closer they come. They're the people that you instinctually want to tell your hardest moments to because you feel safe with them. A loved person feels safe. Not only that, but a loved person feels seen. You know the people who really love you. They see you and know you better than anyone else, and they still want to be with you. Have you ever heard the phrase, love is blind? I don't think that's true. I think lust is blind. But love sees more. Love sees all of you and says, even with warts and all, I'm staying committed. I'm not going to run because of what is the ugliness of your soul that I'm now seeing. Love is not blind. Love sees more and it chooses to stay committed. A loved person feels really seen and safe at the same time. Another thing that a loved person feels is like they belong. Have you ever had that moment, maybe you've been on a first date that was super awkward, where you're with this person and it feels super uncomfortable? You're like, I don't know what to do and I don't feel safe in my own skin and this is super awkward and should I be eating this meal? When you're with someone that you really know loves you, you feel like you're at home. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to put on pretenses. You don't have to act. You can just be yourself. You feel like you belong. You feel like, of course, this is the place and these are the people that fit me. A loved person also is made better through criticism. You know, one of the main ways that you, that I grow in life is when people criticize me, when they give me feedback, when they say, hey, you did this and you could have done a little bit better and here's how. But you know what? If I don't believe that the person criticizing me loves me, then it's really easy for me to get defensive. At best, I might just ignore them. And at worst, I start criticizing them right back. How dare you? What, let me tell you all the stuff you don't do right. But love creates a safety net where someone can actually bring hard truth to me and I can receive it because I know that deep down they're longing for my good. A loved person is someone who can actually grow through criticism. And finally, a loved person knows that they're delighted in that just your presence brings someone else joy. You know that your very existence makes somebody happy. That's what it feels like to be loved. That's what it would be like if we walked around in this world as loved people. We'd feel safe and seen like we belong, like we're delighted in, and we can actually grow through challenging moments. So the question is, what kind of love will produce that kind of community? And we experience it with other people sometimes, sure. But the reality is that human love, the love we share with others, is so imperfect because of the realities of selfishness and pride, because of bad days and hard nights, because of the brokenness and the evil in this world. We never love others the way we know we should. We never give or receive love perfectly. And that's why John 13 is such good news. Look again at the text having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. The author John is saying, do you want to know what real love looks like? It came down in the person of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just love you. He loves you to the end. I remember reading that for the first time years and years ago, and I said out loud, to the end of what? John's telling me Jesus loves me to the end, but to the end of what? to the end of 
fill in the sentence. But by not actually answering my question, John gives me the answer that I deeply need. Jesus loves his people to the end of everything. Jesus' love is perfectly complete. There's nothing lacking in it. So Jesus loves you to the end of yourself. You know the parts of your life that you're ashamed of? The parts of your life that you don't want anyone else to see or to know? Jesus not only sees them, but he loves those parts. When you're out of strength, when you've messed up again, when you don't love God and you don't love others, Jesus loves you to the end. It would be easier for you to empty an ocean with a bucket than it would be to find a part of your life that Jesus doesn't love. Jesus loves you to the end, the end of yourself. And not only that, Jesus loves you to the end of your life. He loves you to the end of his own life. That's really what John is talking about here in this passage. Jesus literally loved you all the way to his own death, all the way to the cross. We know that because earlier in the verse, Jesus talks about his hour. And we've said actually over the past couple of weeks that hour in John's gospel is a word that always talks about the time of Jesus's dying. It's not referring to a 60 minute period. It's the season or the moment of Jesus dying on the cross and his rising again from the dead. The hour is always referring to Jesus's death for you and in your place. And what John is saying is that if you wanna know how loved you are, if you wanna know how much Jesus loves you, you have to look to the cross. The cross, the death of Jesus is the shape of God's love for you. So if we're not moved by the fact that Jesus loves us, if even as I say that you don't find your heart lifted, probably it's because we don't fully appreciate what really happened on the cross. So let me take a moment to try to unpack the significance of what it was that Jesus did when he died in your place. Jesus dies for your sin. He dies for your selfishness, for your evil, but not just yours. Jesus dies for the evil and the selfishness of all his people throughout all history. Imagine that. All the ugliness and brokenness of our world all the stuff that you look out and you see and you say that's terrible and that's evil, all the stuff in your own life that you see and are so ashamed of, in a moment, all of that was funneled down onto Jesus Christ and it came crashing down on him and he took it in your place. All the wrath, all the punishment, all the judgment that our sin, our selfishness deserved crashed down on him. He who was in perfect community with God, his father, was forsaken on the cross. The one who was perfect light was plunged into darkness. The one who knew no sin became sin for you. On the cross, Jesus saw hell in front of him and he kept walking right into it. So you wouldn't have to. Jesus died for you and in your place. And if you want to know the shape of love, if you want to know how loved you are, you need to look no further than the cross. Dane Ortland, in his great book about this verse, Jesus loved his own to the end, puts it this way. It's a long quote, but worth listening to. Let these words wash over you as I read it. Christ loved his own all the way through death itself. Our heaven through his hell our entrance into love through his loss of it. 
This was what loving to the end meant. Passing through the horror of the cross and drinking down the flood of filth, the centuries of sin, all that is revolting, even our own eyes. So what must that mean for you? It means first, your future is secure. If you are his, heaven and relief is coming. You cannot be made unhis. He himself made you his own and you cannot squirm out of his grasp. And it means second, he will love you to the end. Not only is your future secure on the basis of his death, but your present is secure, proven in his heart. He will love you to the end because he cannot bear to do otherwise. No exit strategy, no prenup. He'll love you to the end, the end of their lives, the end of your sins, the end of your temptations, even the end of your fears. He loves you to the end of everything. The cross tells us that. That's how Jesus loves. And so the question now as we close our sermon is, well, what does a community look like that's rooted in Jesus's love? If we believe not just in our heads, but if we felt in our hearts that Jesus loved us to the end, what kind of community would we be? Five things, and then we're done. First, we'd be a beautifully vulnerable community. Finally, we'd be free to take our masks off and say, this is me. This is who I really am. And sometimes as we bring our whole selves into the community, there will always be people, and this pains me to say, there will always be people who don't respond well. And I'm sorry in advance about that. It is a little risky to be in community. But when you know that Jesus loves you to the end, even when people don't always respond the way they should, you feel a sense of safety because of who Jesus is and his love for you. And so you can go into community and you can bring your whole self. We can be truly a community that shares life together and says, this is me. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm not proud of. And we can do life together. It could be beautifully vulnerable. Second, we could be a grateful community. Apart from the love of Jesus, many of us approach community in terms of what we can get. How can these people make my life better? But when your life is rooted in the love of Jesus, you shift and you start to say, not what can I get, but how can I give? We become a community of people that actually love others just for who they are because we know that Jesus loves us for who we are. So we go into community learning to appreciate the people who are around us, even if they're a little challenging, even if they're not exactly what we might've thought of as the people we'd spend our life with. We could be a vulnerable community, a grateful community, a service-oriented community, a group of people who are so humbled by the fact that we're loved by God that no form of service for others is beneath us. But we go into relationships, we go into friendships, and we say, how can I give? How can I serve? How can I help? And we actually begin to live out what it means that others are more important than ourselves. Fourth, we could finally be a truth-telling and a truth-receiving community. For some of you, the hardest thing in life is confronting another person with a hard truth. Do you know why? Because you love yourself more than you do that person. Sometimes the most important thing we could do for another person is tell them a hard truth. And the love of Jesus frees us from the fear of others and enables us to bring hard truth to other people, not out of a need to be right, but for their own good. And conversely, The love of Jesus enables me to receive hard truths from others, 
to say, I needed to hear that, thank you. To say, I'm sorry and to ask for forgiveness when we've been wrong. The love of Jesus gives me an identity so secure that I can both give and receive hard truth, essential for being a community. And last, the love of Jesus would make us a joyful community. When Jesus died on the cross for you, it wasn't just duty. He wasn't saying, I'm a soldier and this is my job, I'm obeying orders. He was dying for his bride. He was dying for you because he delights in you. The Bible says in Zephaniah 3, 17, not that many of you have read Zephaniah recently, but in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17, the text says that God, when he looks at you, he rejoices and he sings. You bring God so much joy that he sings when he thinks about you. That's what we're learning from Jesus on the cross. His love is not a love just of duty, it's a love of delight. And Marie Lagrange said, nothing causes more joy than to be loved. Disciples or Christians know that from now on, they have been loved. That creates a sense of joy in the community that as we go through life, and life is often hard, we can have joy not minimizing sorrow, but in the midst of sorrow. As we go through pain and as we support each other, there's a deep, unquenchable joy because we've been loved by Jesus. Now, we're gonna unpack all these ideas over the next few weeks, but here's the application for today's sermon. Do we wanna be that kind of community? Do we wanna be a vulnerable, truth-telling, joyful, grateful community that serves others? If so, the application is not go and try really hard to be that kind of community. The application is root yourself in the love of Jesus. See his love for you. Look to the cross today. Are you resting in his love? His love transforms us to be the kind of community we wanna be. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's respond to that love now as we pray and worship. Our God, thank you for the passages that we've considered today, the truths that have been before us. And now as we come to this time of response, we pray that through the power of your spirit, you would help us to be transformed into a community that is so rooted in your love that we look really different in our city. So now in this time of response, may we see Jesus's love vast, free, perfect for us. May we rest in his love. May we be transformed by it. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.